Dr. Hughes, we are yes, live. Sir. Are you ready to kick this thing off, brother? Man, let's rock and roll. It's been a let's minute. Let's do it. KTTV, uh, giving you what you need. Uh, motivation, education unleashed. H-Town representing, we forever keep it rolling. Join the conversation with inspirational stories. Thought provoking, feel that energy. Kendrick Thomas aiming to lift the community. True indeed, uh, tune in, come and see. Giving you what you need. KTTV, let's go. What to do, KTTV? This is KT, and I'm coming at you live with another episode of Education Unleashed. And on tonight's episode, I have one of the originators to come down with the podcast, the inclusion specialist at Region 4 himself, Dr. Killian Hughes. How you doing tonight, Dr. Hughes? Man, it's been a long time, brother. I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a long time, brother. But uh, look, man. All good things come to those that wait, man. So you are here in the building. I am very excited to have you back uh, because we all know how important SPED is to the educational system. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. So, man, I look forward to it. Let's go. Hey, now, I first wanted to start out by saying, uh, uh, you know, we talked in the pregame about everything that you got going on, how busy it is. So I want to say thank you for taking a few minutes out uh, to come on, man, and just drop this inclusion knowledge on us tonight, brother. Oh man, you know it's all the part of you know all the part of part of what we do in general, man. Just trying to yes, spread sir. some knowledge and and grow some people, man. We got that's what we got to do. We still got work to do. Got uh, mucho. <laughs> hey, hey. Now, before we get started, I always like to jump into a uh, wellness check because um, you know it, it's fun, but it's busy and it's crazy out here, Doc. So, how have you been, and how are you finding that time? Uh, to make that balance between work and family, because I know the, the, I know your kids act. You got oh, yeah, you got yeah. meat. You got all competitions. So how you finding that time to balance, brother? Man, I'm gonna tell you, you you have to um, at some point you just gotta you just gotta learn how to disconnect, man. And so I think I'm I'm very fortunate. Uh, I think probably over the last four or five years, I've recognized that you know, hey, we're not we're not young bucks anymore. Hey. So you know what I'm saying we we can't you know turn it over as quick as we used to and then you know come home and, and have that same energy and things like that so i learned how to kind of disconnect um and really take a step back and figure out you know at, at a certain point what do you do that that's for you to get you to keep you back on track because you know all the energy we put out when we go to work we turn that that's that light switch on we go to work for them eight hours or however long that is that's a lot of energy and so you gotta have some something left in the tank you know for the kids and the family at home so luckily for us you know, our kids a little bit older, so I don't have to rip and run too much. Yeah. You know, the oldest kid, oldest daughter, she's in college, so you know, we're just a phone call here and there. Um, or when it's time for me to send that part of their rent check, she'll go ahead and hit me up and say, "Daddy, what, what's happening? I don't see no cash coming through." Or, uh, you know, the seventeen, well, the eighteen-year-old, he's about to graduate, so he got got his rides where he can get to and from. So we don't, I don't have to rip and run too much. But now it's that time that I figure out, okay, me and the wife or whatever, we figure out what we like to do. It's kind of uh you know keep our keep our self-care going or whatever and you know how it is nowadays hey we go find something to binge watch on tv or something just relax yeah eat something good or whatever uh then unwind and turn that switch back on when it's time to go on so pretty much you just gotta learn how to turn that switch on and off man man you got to you got to learn that and when i tell you uh it took so i've been doing this thing since 2001 man i I probably just got there (laughs) i probably just got there man because we talking 
seven days a week. I remember uh, a few years ago, man, I was religious at being at work on a Sunday, man. So, you know, not taking any time uh, for myself. Yeah. So I totally understand where you're coming from, brother. Yeah, you do. You know, and I think in education in general, you know, well, you, you know, those saying, you know, we, we, we've been through this, man. Um, you know, education is not that, you know, 1954 leave it to beaver yeah. show. And, you know, and it's, you know, when the bell rang, everything over. And so it, it's hard to tell educators don't take your work home, especially yeah. when you work with kids and the type of kids we work with yes, and the type of things that to deal with. So it's on our mind. But at the same time, it's that same note of, you know what, that work that you that you're thinking about, it's yeah. going to still be there Monday morning. It ain't going nowhere. It's gonna so, be you know, so, you know, you can try to get ahead, but it, that work will still be there Monday morning. So go ahead and turn it off and save that energy so you can start the week off, week off strong. Yeah, that, that's what I had to learn, man. Um, you know, just reading books and, and listening to how other principals did it. Uh, it's always going to be something to do. So you have to find that cutoff spot. Always. Yeah, that's always. it, man. That's it, man. Well, look, uh, can you tell us a little bit about you, uh, your background, man, and how did you even get into that field of special education so that we can catch everybody up to your specialty? Man, I'm, I'm and really, I, I'll say... Um, I would say it all started with me when I was a kid, right? And so I have this um, this story I like to tell. Um, uh, I like to tell people um, about me when I was growing up, especially when I'm presenting or, or talking about, you know, students with, you know, uh, that receive special education services. Uh, I started out as a 504 kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up, my early years, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And we moved to Mississippi when I was like the beginning of the third grade. And so I had to be retained in third grade because when we got to Mississippi, and there wasn't no joke. The teachers like they already spotted me. They were like, uh-uh, he ain't there. So let you know, he's gonna need some extra support. And so I remember during those early years being tested for SPED and everything. I didn't qualify, but I still needed that intervention services for like three or four years after that in school. So pushing forward, let's say, you know, once that light bulb you know, sort of came on with teacher support and everything like that, man. Mm-hmm. I started moving fast through, you know, middle school and high school and you know, got a, you know, full ride to college and things like that. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that I, as far as my career, it's going to be some something in education because the impact made on me yep. had the same impact. I just didn't know where. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, you know how it is back in the day in college, you know, we didn't have, you know, a strong internet and all the stuff like that to certify your class. We had that good old manual in college, you had to pull that thing out and search for those majors. Yeah. So I remember my sophomore year flipping through the book, the bulletin, and, and finding majors, looking at education. And I kept going back and forth to special ed, elementary. And I kept going. I kept going to special ed. And I was like, you know what? Uh, this might be it for a whole semester. And then mm-hmm. I took one class, I uh, had a guy, guy by the name of Dr. Coffee. And uh, his, his first class really cemented for me. It was like, you know what? Uh, special ed is home for me. And so ever since then, I knew I was going to be in the spare realm, but not only the spare realm, uh, but even past that. So I was like, I'm going to do special ed undergrad. But when I went to grad school, at the same time I was getting my special ed degree, uh, I was getting my master's in rehabilitation counseling. And so that's an extension of spare outside of, you know, K through 12. Yes, sir. So doing that, um, I got a chance to do that. And then uh, uh, for my internship, worked on the uh, uh, Choctaw Indian Reservation. As a matter of fact, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, as a rehab counselor. And so I always knew that I wanted to work in this in this sector of education with children who need that support because I firsthand know how that how that feels to yeah. be one of those kids who, you know, are struggling and having to figure have to figure out a way to, you know, get through the system 
with the help of some great teachers who, you know, who, who saw what I needed, not only academically, but what I needed mentally or socially or whatever. So a lot of those teachers, man, I highlight the impact of my career, not because of what they taught as far as the content, but that little extra time we always talking about helping kids with the social, emotional learning and things like that or whatever. They, they made that impact, that impact on me. Yeah. And I need so that that's how I pretty much ended up in that field, man. And it just it just, it just felt like home, man. And that's what I feel when I'm working with the uh, behavior kids. Like I said, there was a point uh, when my mom left for a few years, man, and I was so angry, uh, you know, getting in trouble. And I was that trouble kid who should have been in that structure class. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, you know, in Louisiana, I don't, I don't think they was moving that fast like that uh, to just put me in there. Uh, but but uh understanding the kind of kids that we serve and being able to empathize and resonate with those students uh, to build those bridges. And, and so I think that is what makes us uh, so special at doing that SPED life because we really get it. Not, not just book theory, but I sit in your seat before. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. it, man. You see that, man. So you feel it. And so, you know, that, 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 I think that makes a real big difference and it, it makes a real big difference to the kids. Even when you share them, you tell them your story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so because, you know, when they look at us, they just see an end product. They don't see, you know, what we've been through is kind of maybe similar to them or what have you. And so, you know, to, to have that rep- we we always talk about that representation of of, you know, great people in our lives and we want them to see on TV and that's and this or that. But they also got to see the representation of the people who went through things just like them and be able to know that, OK, they went through stuff, but they still ended up on the other side with some supports and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it, it, man, it matters a lot. Yeah. That's it, brother, man. So now I know working in the leaf, we, we ran that thing for a while. I still got all my books you got for me. Um, and then moving on to region four. So man, what prompt that change and then give us a little bit of the role that you're doing currently at region four. Man, I think it was a nice, uh, sort of segue from, from a leaf to region four. Um, you know, I always, anytime I bring up the leaf, I just say, yeah, that's the SWAT, Jack. That's that you know, SWAT, baby. I tell them no, no matter where I go, um, uh, I tell them, you know, I, I was born in Michigan, uh, but I was, as far as professionally, I was raised by A-Leaf. Come on, uh, So, uh, so with A-Leaf, it was just that, that notion of thinking of having an opportunity to do what you, what you always do, but trying to do it on a grander scale to impact more. Um, and I think every, uh, as far as professionally for me, what I've learned is that every three to five years, you know, you get that itch. It's just like, oh, okay, I've, I've done this. So what else is there for me to do as far as kind of spread my wings or, um, like I said before, doing the same thing that I'm doing, yeah. but having an impact across to spread across other areas and stuff like that. So that's all. That's always been me, man. Even when I was in a leaf every three, four years. All right. It's time to do something. And so uh, uh, that kind of prompted me to kind of look outward elsewhere. And so. And so I, when, when I had this opportunity, as a matter of fact, and this is how God worked, when I had the opportunity to uh, to kind of pursue something in Region 4, I actually interviewed for a different position. Mm-hmm. That position was already filled. Mm-hmm. And so they just, by they told me that, but then by chance reached out and said, hey, but we have a team that uh, wants to know if you would be interested in this particular position. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I would. And so it, it actually works out because it's, it's pretty much similar to what I did in A-Leaf. Uh, with that support, you know, uh, for the campuses with around the sped and the content. The only difference is I get to do that, you know, across, you know, the whole region four of, of Houston, Texas. Um, uh, and, and not only that, but with inclusive supports, 
but what comes with region four is a lot of network uh, uh, leading. So with me, I lead um, uh, from a director from the state. I lead our uh, MTSS, our uh, multi-systems of support uh, for the region. Uh, and so, and that is, you know, that's pretty much our RTI and PBIS supports, yeah. but they just renamed, not renaming it, but that's the general name as an umbrella, the MTSS for both of those supports. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm happy to kind of leave that. So that definitely gives me, gives me something that I can call my own little baby to kind of grow and have a vision for. And that still encompasses inclusions because it's yeah. not just our general education kids, but it's every kid that goes through that tier one, tier two, tier three support academically and uh, uh, behaviorally. So not only that, you know, I always got my wheelhouse, my specialty that I love, my yeah. baby, my, my, my co-teaching and stuff that I love to, to help folks with. So it gives us a lot, a lot of room and flexibility to work on things. So I've been enjoying it thus far. Man, and I want to put this disclaimer out uh, for everybody. There will be a lot of acronyms thrown out tonight. Yeah, you so, know, we, uh, we, we're in education. You know how they work. <laughs> so if there's any anybody that has a question, uh, please just type it into the chat. We will make sure that you are able to get that uh, get that clarified for you. Uh, yeah. but, but for me, man, it, when I thought about, so one of the um, viewers last season, man, she said, I love the podcast, but last season, I really didn't highlight anybody in education. Uh, mm-hmm. As for special education, right? And right. so it was all leaders, uh, gen ed teachers, uh, support, but nobody from SPED. And so uh, this season, man, I was so lucky to uh, to be able to reach out now because as soon as it was time, I said, man, I know who I'm going to talk to. Right, uh, right. So so being able to kind of talk to you, and, and I just wanted people to understand that background of uh, what you're doing now uh, because right now you are the support person when you're thinking about looking inside of districts so not just one but how you're going across and you're seeing things from different lenses uh so so much expertise that's going to be given tonight uh, and i really want to build up that background so people can just know you know right. uh, what you got going on so as we jump into the conversation for inclusion can you please give us a, a definition of what inclusion means in the context of special education and why is it so important for our students with disability? Man, if, to define inclusion, I just get one word, pretty much, that's pretty much access. Yeah. That, that, that's inclusion right there, access. We always attach that word to, word to uh, uh, inclusion. Inclusion means access to everything that you're providing within that, we're within and outside of that setting. Um, and so there's different ways that you're going to have to have to provide that access for inclusion. You want them included academically. You want them included you know, behaviorally, socially. And then nowadays, we always talk about self-care and mental health. You want them included in, in that fashion. And so um, that's really what inclusion is. How can I make sure that those kids and I'm going to say not only those kids with, you know, receiving those special education services, but kids who struggle in general, because, you know, we got a whole lot of kids sitting in that classroom who are not labeled. But still struggle just as much, or as you know, uh, or has a need, just like kids who receive those services. So you want inclusion for everyone, um, and so that that's so important for our students with disabilities because again, uh, uh, we want them to feel, you know, a, a part of. We always say want them to feel a part of part of society. Mm-hmm. You want want them to feel a part of that community, that classroom community, right? You don't want anybody sticking out like 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 a sore thumb or anything like that. So you want them to feel. Um, as if they are part of the group, you know, so uh, having those you know, inclusion practices, um, you know, in place for those for those students and other students, man, it's just super important because, again, it goes back to giving them access 
to everything that you're providing for everyone in that classroom. And so that's going to come, you know, come across, you know, of course, through the accommodations they receive, some modifications, maybe some AT supports or what, what have you. But outside of that, it's still uh, up to us as those educated leaders to make sure that, you know, our teachers are, you know, equipped with the skill to, to provide those supports to make sure that environment is inclusive. Um, so it is access, access, access. Why do we got? Why do we have wheelchair ramps? We want access, um, and so that that's the notion for it. So anytime anyone ever thinks about inclusion, you want access. You know, you want access. You want to be. If you had to change the word a little bit, we always want to be included in crucial conversations, right? And so in order for us to be included, we have to have access to that conversation. Somebody got to let us in. So for us educators, we got to let students in at whatever entry point they have uh, based on their need. And so we got to recognize that and we have to figure it out. So I tell teachers all the time, not just special ed, general ed, teaching ain't, ain't easy. Yeah. It, it ain't. So it's, it's rewarding, but it's not easy. You know, it's not cookie cutter. So, uh, but once you, you got that passion for it, you know what I'm saying? And you want, want to make sure your, your students, all your students um, uh, are in the pocket with you and growing, give them access, make sure they have access. Yeah, and that's, that's powerful, you know, and um, I, I'm going back to something you said, uh, making sure not only for students with disabilities, but also their non-disabled peers, right? Yeah. And so um, when you think about that, you think of two certified teachers inside of that classroom working together for everybody. For everybody. Man, and so when you think of that, uh, one of those benefits is having those those two teachers in there. But then can you tell me, like, what are some of the other benefits of of having inclusion inside of your school? Man, it, 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 I think having that, it really trickles down to um, that really trickles down to the to, to the supports that are given to kids by the parents, uh, those families. At the end of the day, you want them to feel accepted. Right. Um, uh, within that community, with that community or that or that classroom. Um, and like we said before, it, it's beneficial for all students. Yes. Think of those ELL learners who uh, uh, they want access to discussion and conversation in the classroom. What, what's the, what's the barrier to that? That language. Mm -hmm. Right. Or even their parents. They may not be speak fluent English, but you still want them to have access to what's happening. You want them to feel comfortable. Yes. sir. So part of that benefit or some of that secondary benefit is making sure everyone is comfortable uh, within that setting, because that's going to bleed out to whether you're a student with or without disability, um, to the friendships you make, developing those friendship skills, um, mm -hmm. problem solving together. I mean, come on, come having that positive self image, um, you know, having that respect for other individuals who who may be different than you, but yes, at the same time, you you see them as human, you see them as another person. Their disability or what they don't have shouldn't uh, 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 disqualify them from being um, another person or human or a kid in the classroom to receive the same respect and friendship as, as, as everyone else. Now, I'm going to say one word um, uh, that I, that, you know, again, as me growing up as a kid, as a 504 kid that helped me, your confidence and having that self-confidence. You don't because think about it. We know as kids, we know what we don't have. We know what we struggle with. You know what I'm saying? We recognize that. That's why we know of some kids who they know that they can't do the work, what they're going to do. They're going to misbehave because they know they don't know. So they know they have that self-concept. So uh, that self-image, that confidence is so it's so important for, for all kids in, in that classroom. So and that really helps out. So if I know that despite the disability that I have, that my friend, my homeboy is going to help me out and he don't see he don't see me for the disability. 
he may he may recognize that, but he know that okay, that's 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 he this this has a barrier, but I'm gonna help him. Man, that, that that's some confidence right there, mm-hmm. and that, that's that's exactly what you need. So you want people to feel comfortable, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, our time uh, went up at Hicks, right, and you coming through, and so we're talking to teachers, and so I uh, got a lot of new teachers coming in the profession, and so then I, I just want to think about those, but we also have some veterans that's coming in, and um, one of the big benefits of this is, like I say, not just seeing it in one district, one campus, but you seeing what's happening across the entire region for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, thinking about those teachers in mind, how can educators create an inclusive classroom environment that meets the needs of all students? Because once again, like you say, it's not just about those disabled, but my non-disabled peers. So how do those teachers set up those inclusive environments to meet the needs of all students involved? Man, I'm going to throw out, we said some acronyms going to be thrown out in this thing. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and throw out another one, that that uh, good old UDL, mm. uh, that, that Universal Design for Learning. Yes, sir. Um, uh, one of the trainings that I like to give, um, uh, let me get the name right, I call it layering layering instruction. And so when you're layering instruction, the first thing you want to do, so we already know that we get, we have kids in our class with this with, with that receiving special education services. So we know they're going to be re- uh, receiving some accommodations and uh, or modifications, so we know they have an IEP. We're going to follow that. But so we know they're going to be taken care of because we're going to follow what they need as far as what they need according to the IEPs. But number one, we're thinking of the whole class, right? So here's what we're going to do first. We're going to uh, uh, think about those UDL practices or universal design for learning practices. And what the, U, what the UDL basically says is uh, we're going to see, we're going to anticipate some barriers that we may see in our lessons. There may be barriers to certain kids in the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's going to take care of everybody. As we're creating this lesson, now we're going to ask ourselves, what can I put in place in this lesson so that, again, I'll go back to the word access. What can I put in, in this lesson that's going to make sure that these barriers are no longer barriers and provide access and choice for these kids, for all the kids? We're going to do that first. Then once we do that, now we, we are ready to proactively teach ch- children. So for, and for the longest, what, what have we, we we've been doing? We've been reactive. We, we see what they do and then react and say, okay, we got to reteach. Now, that's going to always be a part of education, but we want to minimize how much we reteach. So first, we're going to use UDL when we're pre- preparing our lesson plan. Um, uh, and then we're going to uh, you know have a conversation with our teammates and kind of role play and act those activities out to make sure we have um, uh, everything covered. After that, uh, during, during instruction, we know that we're going to have some differentiation um, strategy that we may have to u- utilize for students who may still fall through the crack. But hopefully hopefully that's a few because we have UDLized our lesson. Then after that, as we're planning, we're going to look at our students with disabilities. So we're going to see when we UDLize this lesson, we looked at those barriers, are the strategies and things I have in place, will that assist my student with disabilities? Or does the student with disability, their specially designed instruction, what I have in place for them, would that cover what they need? So we're really double dipping our special ed kids with UDL and what they already have for accommodation. So they're covered. So I would say to create that environment, get really strong in your UDL principles. And what I would say to anybody else, anybody who like who says, you know what, I'm not familiar with that, or I'm somewhat familiar, I need some training on that. Well, if you go to inclusion, uh, inclusion in Texas, um, uh, in your URL, just type inclusion in Texas. If you go to that website, they have 
Uh, we just moved over, actually. We had it in, at Region 4, but we helped them um, uh, transition over to, to, to their uh, site. But they have free um, uh, online modules for all of the those five UDL principles through TEA Learn. So if you go to Inclusion Texas website, um, uh, it'll it'll uh, link you to that particular uh, uh, link and site for those free module classes. But if you get very strong and familiar with that with UDL, that will help teachers be proactive at planning for all students, not just to students with disability. And so um, uh, we we have to do that. And number one, that. Then number two, in that environment, and we spoke of it early on, you know how sometimes we have people come by, you know, as speak, guest speakers for the class or career day and things of that nature. In that inclusive classroom, if, it, if it's all possible, have someone come by, an adult, someone come by to speak to that class that, that has a disability. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, a visible physical disability, but uh, it may be they, they, they have ADHD or they have a learning disability. Because, again, kids need to see, even in the environment that they're being taught in, that it's it's not all about oh this kid is GT or um, this kid is you know this this or that. They need to see a representation of individuals who who have learned to to deal with their disabilities um, and have uh, uh, figured out it. Because as we, when we are adults, that's what we do. We utilize those UDL principles as adults because we know what what barriers we have and we figure out a way to get over to minimize those barriers uh, by having that representation. So uh, the the number one thing I would tell teachers um, is straight. UDL, Universal Design for Learn, it's going to help you be proactive at preparing your class for all kids um, uh, that have uh, any barriers. Yeah, and and uh, just thinking about that role play, uh, even inside of uh, the Get Better Faster book, and, and when you think about those data meetings, um, and they say once you create that exemplar uh, for your reteach, act it out. Right. Go through it, role play, see how it's going to play out in class. And so whether it's on the front end, I mean, on the back end there or on the front end, like you saying, work through that so that you could be mindful of everybody in your class. And when I tell you uh, just from my side, just looking at plans and having to kind of talk through that with teachers, uh, it's a real struggle, man. Uh, yeah. So so just thinking about in some of your experience. Uh, one, training is one of those barriers, I know for sure. But um, what are some of the other challenges that you've seen arise when trying to implement inclusion in that classroom? And at, at Region 4 or even in other practices you've done, how have you addressed some of those barriers? Uh, one of the big barriers is the expectations. Um, and that that's and, and, and not just from the classroom, but that's just from from the district down. There has to be. Uh, you know, anytime you're trying to push an push an initiative, it has to start from the top down, and it has to be an expectation, and it has everyone has to be on the same page, and you ho and hopefully everyone has the same mindset, right, in order to uh, uh, to do that. And so, um, I brought up that MTSS, that multi system of supports. That's one of the the challenges right there. Looking at your tier one instruction, your core instruction, um, there should be your solid instruction. Looking at your tier true to your targeted. You know, kids that fall through the crack, but we're going to give them some extra scaffolding supports and your tier three, your really diagnostic intensive supports. How that looks on every um, uh, campus or you know, in every district can be different. Some campuses may be strong with their tier one, with their core instruction. Some campuses may be super weak with their target instruction. Some may be weak in that, in that tier uh, three instruction uh, or some may be weak in tier one. You know how we always talk about in the beginning of the year, we're screening kids and we're trying to find those at-risk kids. What happens in the beginning of the year, we do that, 
our number should drop, right? The number of kids that fall in that target too should sort of drop periodically throughout the year. But what happens, especially here in Texas, what happens every year around February and March, we start we teaching for that star. All of a sudden, we got a whole bunch of kids that's in their red zone that we're trying to catch up. So to me, part of it is that is that expectation of uh, of solid instructional delivery within each of those tiers. And part of that is that capacity, just like you brought up, you have some new teachers. So, you know, we have to, you know, um, uh, constantly reinvent and build the capacity of new teachers so that they know how to give that solid instruction. Mm -hmm. Small group, I mean, small groups sound easy, but you have to be very purposeful and very skilled at doing that small group, you know. Um, uh, So that capacity building that has to be built, one of the biggest challenges is um, uh, progress monitoring. And not just with our spec kids, because we what we are talking about in education, we got to follow our data. We got to make yeah. decisions based on our data. Well, if we're not progress monitoring to really check to see if the kids are, are progressing, um, then we're really not looking at the data closely. The second part of that is we progress monitor, not just we want to see what the kids are doing, but that tells us if we're being effective. Mm-hmm. So we got to look in the mirror and say, you know what? OK, I prescribed this intervention service to Johnny, but it's not working. So. Every time something doesn't work in education, it can't just it can't just be the kids. Yeah. The kids then can't be the problem. So we gotta take a step back and say we gotta change, change out what we're doing sometimes. So part of that is the expectation, the mindset, building those capacity with teachers. And uh, uh with with the, those challenges, those are the ways we, we address it. Mm-hmm. If if it's an expectation issue, then we're gonna have to come back and have a shared vision meeting. Let's talk about the shared vision of what we want, how we're gonna implement this, and we gotta agree to some things or some non-negotiables. Uh, that mindset, I'm telling you right now, man, that goes down. To, I mean, you know, teaching should be is a non-negotiable within itself. Either you're going to teach it, are you going to do it, or you're not. Um, uh, so I, I'll say this to teachers who are kind of on on the fence: make sure you got a good support system with your with your administrators because they want you to grow, right? And so, and this is burnout season for a lot of teachers. So, um, uh, so we want them to feel like you know they. They count. They're growing at the same time. So that's on us as uh, those those outside leaders, uh, administrators and district and, and above that, especially reading four to uh, make sure that we're pouring into those teachers. We're collaborating with them uh, to not only make sure that you know they're supporting the kids, you know, but we got to fill their buckets, too. We got to make sure that, you know, they feel that that support. We got to make sure we talk about included. They have access. We got to make sure teachers have access to what what they need. Um, in order to address those those challenges that that come up, and we have to let them know number one that hey, we're in trenches with you. Now you yeah. deep in the trenches because you're there with the kids, but uh, uh, we're there with you to make sure that you have what you need uh, to face those challenges because you're going to have those challenges. Challenges not going to go away. That's yeah. just education. And with that progress monitoring, do you all um, man, I, I guess we got it two ways. You know, you think about those screeners. Right. And we got like your computer screeners, uh, like your eye station. And so all of that data. But then you think about that small group and I'm doing running records. I'm doing all these pieces where I'm taking this real time data myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you're looking at progress monitoring and, and seeing it from your end uh, statewide, is there one over the other? I mean, for me, in my opinion, it's always good to have that person. But then um how how much weight do you put on the uh, the computer data as well when you progress monitor? The the computer data is going to give you that 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 overarching look, right? And so if I look at and um, I will say for, if you're here in Texas and you're watching this, you you go um, to tier uh, T I E R 
their website, they have a free progress monitoring tool for everyone to use. That progress monitoring tool, that's the, your overarching. So you can look at if you're giving kids, you know, if you're giving them a, a short assessment, you know, every two weeks, you know, if they're in tier two and you, you want to give it frequently. And so you give them a little probe every two weeks um, uh, or th yeah, two weeks, I would say, and you plot that on that progress monitor, that's going to give you an overall look of um, uh, uh, how they progress toward that goal. So, and that's going to give you a gauge on you're doing right. Cool. Um, if they're not, then what am I, what am I going to have to adjust? Am I going to have to make sure they use some extra accommodations or do I have to change up my intervention? That's going to give you that overarching look that that's one piece. So really, as far as weight, both of them have, have, have this purpose. You want to do both because it's just like when you're looking at it, you know, when a kid take a test, yeah. Their test, that's a part of, you can use that as a part of the progress monitoring piece to mm -hmm. see how they did. But you look at that test, just like you look at progress monitoring, you're looking at a number. Yeah. All right. And so they give us that, that surface. What are we going to do? Now, with that real person, that small group, our anecdotal notes, we got to do that because that, that's helping us dig deeper to see, okay, yeah, he missed this problem. He's not doing well. But what specifically is he not doing well with? Because that, that person data, that's really going to give us uh, our next steps on what strategies we, we we that we have to use. So both of them are powerful. You know, we we have to do do both, um, and especially with our kids with this with students with disabilities. You know, we got to progress monitor. We got to make sure they are making progress on those goals. So I would tell teachers all the time, you make sure you have you know both because we always talk about having more than one form of data, yeah. uh, your data sources, right? And so both of them are. If, in my terms, I would say they're definitely mandatory if you want to be effective and making sure you're pushing those kids kids along. Yeah, most most definitely. I, and I, I do believe, um, like I say, both of them are powerful. That person uh, that's that's taking those anecdotal notes, getting deeper, no substitute. Yeah. No substitute. But, but, uh, but at the same time, like I said, you want to be able to have both because they will give you those overarching skills, which can help you kind of hone in just a little bit deeper on mm -hmm. those specific pieces uh, so that you're not just trying to hone in on every point, right? Uh, yeah, you got, yeah, you got to work harder. You got to work smarter, not harder, man. You know, Amen. you look at that and you see what they're struggling with. You know, I'm not going over a whole test with them. If they only yeah. miss three, five, and seven, that's what we're looking at. We're not yeah. looking at everything else. And I want to yeah. make sure they, they they get it. So, you know, I'm trying to go home uh, uh, not as tired as I did, did the day before. You know what I'm saying? And you got, you know, 20-some-odd kids in your classroom you know, you got to figure out a way to um, uh, to work to work smarter and not know overwhelm or, or be like me. Well, my first year teaching at Hearn uh, Elementary over there, and um, uh, being up there at you know nine ten o'clock at night every day, you know, trying to grade everything because I'm not aware that you know you only need eighteen grades or whatever yeah. for that grading period. <laughs> I'm ending up with thirty forty some grades. I'm like, okay, something ain't right. Yeah. So I had to I had to get smarter with that with that thing. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's it. You gotta take that lesson. Oh, look, man, I've seen it happen by some of the first year teachers, man. They up there trying to get in. Everything is a grade. I'd be like, yeah, y'all gonna take that too? You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. You got to learn. Most definitely, man. You got to learn, though. And so that that's why it's so important tonight. And so as we go into this next part, I want to look at uh, parents. But also, I want to kind of talk about that connection between that gen ed and that spirit teacher. Uh, but first, looking at that parents, man, we know it's so important to have that support inside and outside the classroom. And a lot of the times, uh, our parents try as much as they can, but they just don't have that knowledge uh, to be able to support. And so I, I know we're not going to take it too deep. 
But just thinking about their parents, how can parents and families support inclusion efforts for their child, uh, both at home and at school, in your opinion? Man, well, you know, first, I'll say first, you, you have to accept that that uh, uh, you're, if you have a child or student with disability, you have to accept that, okay, they, they need this support. I'm going to have to be be that advocate. I'm going to have to have to be there, uh, right? Because the teachers, yes, they go to school and they get taught by the teacher and they get that support. But, you know, the education don't stop um, uh, at 3.30 once they leave the school building. Um, so that that continues continues home. Um, I, you know, I said before, I struggled when I was growing up. So when I went home, I used to always ask, and I knew I struggled. So I would always ask, I remember asking my granny. She was sweeping the floor or something. I asked granny, granny, I'm doing a spelling test. Uh, can you, you know, test me, make sure I know these words or whatever the case may be. You didn't need that that support. And so for parents, you just got to be involved. You got to ask, ask questions. Um, and, and for a lot of parents, just to know that no, no question is, is, is a dumb question if you're asking the, the teachers. Because actually teachers want you to ask questions. They want you to support, especially those kids who are uh, needing that, that support. They want that because. They want to make sure everything that they're giving in the classroom, they're supporting, that it's an extension of that at, at home in one way, form or fashion. And so, you know, and, you know, stats show that, you know, for a lot of parents who, you know, maybe, you know, maybe come from that, you know, low economic situation, uh, they're not as involved as involved that we want them to. But we want you to be more involved because and, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with, with them trying to teach their own kid, per se, because. What do you see with uh, a lot of parents who uh, have the means to do so? They provide those tutoring services for, for those kids because they know that, you know, I, I, they grew up in a different way. They didn't learn how their kids learn. Mm -hmm. And so they want to make sure they can't get that extra support uh, uh, outside of that. So you have to be involved one way or another to make sure that, that you know, your child's needs being met. Number two, you have to be involved because your kids need to see that you're involved and you're invested. Your kids know that you know they struggle. They want to know that you care and you're going to do something. You're going to help them and do something about it at the same time. So you play a crucial role. So for parents, simply be, get involved as much as you can just, just to support them and let them know that you're there for whatever whatever they need. Because, again, that goes back to that confidence. Uh, my own son, when he was in fifth grade, uh, you know, he had ADHD. And so, man, in my kitchen, I come home sometime. I had anchor charts all around the kitchen uh, helping him with his, his work. And things of that nature, and helping his teacher uh, at the same time, working with her as a matter of fact to to make sure that you know whatever she's doing, hey, I'm here with you. Uh, let me help. Let me you know front load some stuff. But for parents who, again, man, I have that education background like that, um, ask those questions. One thing I would love to see, and this is, um, I had a conversation with someone I think a couple of weeks back. What I would love to see, and you know how we provide a lot of services to parents in school um, to come up for you know parent like things of that nature, man. We could have tutoring service for parents yeah. at the school to teach them some of some of the big rock stuff that we teach kids that we can teach them and say, this is how you can help your kid and, and teach them. Have them take some a couple of classes that our specialists can kind of, you know, teach them some strategies that we work on and things of that nature. So that that's one way right there. Yeah, man, that's what I loved about, um, you know, being at that Hicks, uh, working and, and bringing those parents in and then having that math teacher go in uh, and, and kind of teach those strategies the way that we are teaching them so that they can double back. Uh, some of them parents come out of that, that hair all over their head like, oh, my yeah. God, what just happened? You know, yeah. but at the end of the day now, not only do they kind of know more about the, the targets, but they also know what questions to ask. 
Yep. And so that's such a big part of being able to move that kid forward and work together with that teacher. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know, we're educators, but I tell you what, if my son was struggling in, in pre-cal, I'd be up there like, look, I need you to hook me up because I don't yeah. know anything about how to do this right here. I need you to you know, teach me because I don't know. So I can't I can't help him. So either I'm gonna help him or I'm gonna give him a tutor or something. But um yeah, so we ask those questions, man. Yeah, tell him, give me a give a zoom for us. Right <laughs> for the homework. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yo, man, now I know this is one of your passions, right? Um, thinking about the GNA teacher mm-hmm. and the uh special ed teacher. I'm gonna hit you with this one, and I and I know this is this is right on the tip of your tongue, but best practices. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking about best practice for collaboration between that special ed and general, educa- uh, general education teacher. Uh, just thinking about that, what are some of those best practices uh, that you're kind of working with as you work with teachers uh, at Region 4 or districts at Region 4? Uh, the first thing, man, you know, that goes right into that co-teaching thing with both that gen ed and sped teacher. Uh, the first thing that I recognize, especially, you know, doing my own research, whether for my doctorate and things of that nature and the teachers, you know, I worked with in A-Leaf, and things like that is uh, developing that partnership first. Um, you know, that that's a big thing. Uh, not saying you have to be, you know, happy hour buddies or whatever, anything like that, but developing that professional partnership um, uh, if you're assigned to be co-teacher together because you got to think about it. You gotta, you, you're about to spend the majority of your day together supporting the kids, so you got to be on one, on one page. Um, uh, and so one of the things I tell administrators to do is at the beginning of the year, if you assign two people to be partners for that inclusive support especially if it's co-teaching need to set up some some kind of bonding situation where they can kind of you know kind of let their hair down and share uh some of their strengths and weaknesses and things of that nature because they got to be transparent with each other about you know their own strengths and weaknesses whether one person is you know typically you know we talk about that spare person being that expert with the you know adaptations and know how to you know provide those accommodations and that gen ed person have that content expertise um, and sometimes it's vice versa depends on the experience but they had to be transparent and be open with each other to develop that trust and respect in each other. Right. And so to really understand that we're both here on this, you know, um, uh, you know, in the same class and have, and have some strength that we want to utilize and grow each other to help these students. I may be strong in you know the content. You may be strong in with the on the management side, the behavior side. But not only do that at the beginning of the year, but help develop that partnership every nine weeks. And so for my teachers I work with. I tell them every nine weeks, every time you begin a new unit, you have your partnership meeting. In that partnership meeting, you're looking at the content, but you're sharing what are you of all the content that you're going to be teaching, which areas you feel strong in, which one you feel weak in. Because what that's going to do, that's going to let us identify immediately who's going to take the lead when we're co-teaching on particular topics and things, things of that nature. So, and so they got to have the time to plan together, um, you know. And if they don't have time to plan together, then uh, you know, that that's going to throw a real monkey witch in it, especially if they're co-teaching. Now, if they're just in class support, we know that that's tight because, you know, you supporting probably K through five. Yeah. You know, it's tough to co-teach. So you can still pull that in, in class support off and have some of that same element. You can still do your 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 partnership uh, sort of collaboration. I give a shout out to um, uh, who's that over there? Sneed, AP over there, Sneed. Miss um, uh, uh, Morgan. Miss Morgan, yes, yeah. Miss Morgan. Yeah. Talk about that whole planning and things of that nature. I remember one year working with them, and you know they weren't co-teaching, but they were still in class support. So what we decided to do is, um, uh, on one day, uh, I think we gave them like, like half day for the in class support teachers. 
to specifically work with the specialists um, uh, uh, to have their own time with them and looking at the looking at the patient guide and the curriculum and things yeah. of that nature so they can they can look at the upcoming lesson and see what they're strong in and so the you know build their capacity um, in that reading and math and that and, and stuff like that so so sometimes it's, it's difficult for elementary because yeah. you know you're not coaching you just in class you're in class support yeah. and you, you're spread across you spread thin yeah. So there's ways you, you can get around that, but you got to be creative and willing to go ahead and make that sacrifice and say, you know what, let me give them, let me create some time for them uh, uh, to plan and have conversation with those general ed teachers. The second part of that is you got to make sure general ed teachers hear the same thing to sped teachers. You know, so many years, you know, we do our training in, in back in A-Leaf and Henry reading four, and we see a lot of our sped people, but we don't see that general ed counterpart. Yeah. So that side has to be in it together to hear the same message. Um, that we're preaching because everything we're saying it's not special education it, it's education period. Um, and so period so they got to be in be in on that conversation man you really answered the question because um as soon as we started talking about that access i began to think about some of those struggles i had with my spirit team uh at the elementary level and one of those was you got so many kids you supporting that you're missing those plcs or right. uh, you're missing those planning times. And so then that question was, how do you get them there? Uh, so shout out to uh, Morgan for uh, being able to kind of push that, create that time, because it, once again, you have to be creative uh, yeah. because it's very important uh, yeah. that they hear and they get a chance to preview those lessons so that they can front load for those students versus being reactive in the moment when now you're giving them like that half. Uh, half yeah. of what they're supposed to be. Excuse me, I almost said it. But hey, you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know it because you know one thing that don't stop in education is that curriculum. That curriculum yeah. will keep rolling. It ain't stopping. And so you got to figure out, like I said, a creative way to do that. And so sometimes principals can do, or APs can do that. They can they can provide that space of time every, let's say every every four weeks or every grading period or what have it. Just create that space. It don't take a whole day, but 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 half day. And, and, and so at least that'll give them ahead a couple of weeks so that when they're communicating with those teachers, you don't have to be doing the planning if you can't do it. It's just, hey, I saw this lesson coming up, um, X, Y, Z. Um, you know, if you want to be more involved with that, they can have a quick conversation about it. But at least they're in the know. So like you said, we're trying to front load some of this. We're doing the same thing we want to do with kids, right? We say we want to front load some information um, to activate their prior knowledge before they know stuff. That's the same way we want to do for in-class support teachers who don't have that planning time. We want to create some time that that, to, that allows them to front load some of that content uh, uh, before they get to that, because we want to want to remove all those barriers of, hey, I don't have access to lesson plans mm. or things like that. Want to do everything we can to remove those barriers uh, so they can be as efficient and effective as possible. Well, you know that was one of them. Yeah, so I ain't got that access. What I need to do, I can't see yeah. it. I tell you, it, again, I tell you, when I say hear that word inclusion, not just for students, but teachers, is access. Everything's all about access. Man, that's it, brother. Now, as you work with districts, um, you know, Shirley talking about the effectiveness of the inclusion programs. So in your experience, how can schools and districts uh, measure the effectiveness of inclusion programs uh, and ensure that they are meeting the needs of all students? Uh you know, number one, man, they got to evaluate the systems. You you know, we always talk about we, that, that phrase we always throw back. We got to um, inspect what we expect. Yeah. Um, remember, I talked about before the expectation. Well, this is the expectation that we have when the system that we have, our inclusion system of things we have in place. And I'm not going to just say inclusion, but I'm going to say our our systems of support. Again, that's just 
tier one, tier two, tier three. That covers inclusion. That covers everybody. So we got to evaluate that. We got to we got to evaluate that with a with an open lens and really be honest with ourselves. You know, we're not we're not you know education. We're not Enron. We ain't fudging numbers, and cooking books to make it look book look good because you know the kids go show you what it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So at the end of the day, so so we got to be able to evaluate those systems. And so that's one of the things that um, uh, I know here at Region Four and working with a lot of districts. That that's what we sort of help them with evaluate the system that you have and just kind of work out the kinks. You know, a lot of ways you're not starting from scratch. You just want to work out the kinks that you already have. Part of that is if you're evaluating that system, you're looking at all your tiers of services. You're asking yourself. We just talked about it before. Um, are we strong with our progress monitoring? Are we strong with small groups? Are we strong with you know facilitating small group? Are we strong with taking anecdotal data? Are we strong with using that data? And adapting instruction and creating what's next for you know for students. So it boils down to evaluating your system of services and making sure that everything is done with fidelity. Because um, you know nine times out of ten, something's not going to be done with, with fidelity if your numbers are constantly looking looking crazy to you. Because um, again, it's not always the kids. The kids, you know, every year it can't just be all the kids. Now we know we have we have some kids who are you know in an extreme situation um, and things that we help them with. But you know, a majority of this time, it can't just be all the kids that you know that's the problem so we have to look at the system that we have in place um and and and, and think things of that nature so um uh so you think about the food you eat and stuff like that you go to the doctor you tell them you you, you don't you don't feel well well you know you gotta look inside you can't just say well you know, i think it's just you know i think it's just the food i eat well who, who choosing the food yeah um so you gotta take that accountability so we gotta evaluate our systems man and um make sure things are all those tiers are done with fidelity um uh because again we're not just evaluating the students we're evaluating what what we're doing and that's not a bad thing that's a strong thing i tell teachers all the time one of the strongest thing you can do and and admin can can observe you and realize that if you're truly reflective on your own practices because at the end of the day you know i've been in this thing 20 plus years i've never wrote my first year i probably thought i did but i've never wrote a perfect lesson plan there ain't no such thing mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying i can write a good lesson plan but did I implement that and did I make adjustments along the way based on what the kids are giving me? So uh, uh, we have to evaluate the systems, mm -hmm. make sure it's done fidelity. And again, at the same time, make sure we're supporting teachers with that capacity building, because part of that may be that capacity issue. And part of it may be a personnel issue. You know, a principal told me, I don't know, you probably remember Miss Chapman, yeah. the principal over there at Boone. Yeah. I remember when she was at Hearn. She said one of the most powerful things, two things. She said one of the most powerful things to me was to the staff one day. She said, if, if this teaching thing, you know, uh, you know, maybe may throw crooks in your system, blah, 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 with the kids, hey, maybe you need to find something else to do. On, um, and so sometimes we just got to have, have that hard conversation with teachers. And then number two, Miss Woods, Miss Chandra Woods, another principal. Um, I remember her telling me years ago, I had my third year teaching, man, at Hearn. That class had me questioning my whole decision to go into education. It was a tough class. But she told me, she said, Hughes, let me tell you something. She said, it's not about uh, 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 how, to, how the kids respond. It's how you respond. And so uh, the kids go respond to you how they respond. And so you got to figure out a way uh, uh, to, you know, to, to get them on board and to uh, be sane at the end of the day and teach them um, through all those systems of support. So goes back to just evaluating what we do and yeah. we're willing to be honest and make adjustments when we need to. 
Man, that's it, brother. Powerful, man. Well, what a way to go out tonight for the season finale, man. If nobody <laughs> gets anything from this to enhance their program, they missed the boat. Yeah. They missed the full yeah. boat, man. It's the best. If you don't, man, you better, you better stop providing access. Yeah. Now, I will not let you get out of here without dropping some knowledge on us, man. Uh, just, just in the general here, man. So as we close out. Is there mm-hmm. anything that you want to give? I know this is burnout season, man, to our to our educators, uh, to our leaders, anybody, man, before we close this thing out that you're seeing that can give them a little little something in the tube, Bill. Man, uh man, I, number one, I I'd say, man, you we we in this thing together. Um, you know, we, we didn't you know decide to teach kids or get an education just just for the money. We know we didn't do that. So, uh, man, if anything, man, you know, it, it's springtime. So we we sort of flowed the season. So it's springtime. So whatever we have left in the tank and we ain't got but a couple of more months, you know, let's go ahead and give it give it what we got, man, and be honest with each other. Um, have those crucial conversations, man, and keep pushing and, and, and you know, uh, growing, growing these kids and growing ourselves. And uh, I was at, at the same time what you started with you know, during this this time, man, we hear that over and over. Self-care, take care of yourself. You know what I'm saying? So outside of that window, you know, again, learn how to turn that switch off and take care of yourself so you have that energy to step back in the circle, step back in that ring and start swinging again, man, because that energy is needed every day. And so uh, we want you to be full of that energy. So take care of yourselves and uh, make sure you deposit what you need to deposit within yourselves uh, to start over again and, and to keep pushing. Man, that's it, dog. Look, I appreciate you for coming on tonight, man, and um, talking to us about this inclusion, uh, giving something for parents, something for gen ed teachers, sped teachers, administrators. I think we covered the full basis tonight, brother. Yeah, man, we need it, man. We, we, like I said, we, what's that? I forgot what that, that little theme song, some kid show. We all in this together. Hey, we all in this together. Yes, sir. Man, well, I appreciate you. Uh, I look forward to getting this out. I'm about to start breaking it down as soon as we get off because you dropped so many jewels, brother, till uh, this going to help somebody tonight. Oh, yeah. That's what we got to do, man. We got to help each other. That's it, man. And so I look forward to uh, any trainings that you got. Please, please don't don't hesitate sure. to send it my way. Uh, let's get to work. Uh, let's keep this thing sure. growing. And I'll see you on the battlefield, brother. Yes, sir. We'll be there. That's it. All right, y'all. This is, oh, wait a minute. Before I get out of here, y'all, this is the season finale. We're going to take a few weeks off. We got to digest all this information that we took. Uh, I got a few things going on the back end, so I want y'all to put some prayers up for me as I get ready to move to the next journey of my life, because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. And uh, I'll see y'all when we get back. Probably, and look, don't count me on the date, but we coming back soon, y'all. Oh, love, man. Look, uh, what, what Ms. Lester said, great information. I agree with you, Ms. Lester. You dropped it on today. But, uh, Doc, that's it, man. I'll see everybody right, in a few Doc. weeks. All right, Doc. Yes, sir. All right. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.